Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning and welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the members, a partner here at Rev. And if you are here this morning and you're a regular attender or a partner, thank you for coming to this service and and enjoying uh, fellowship with one another. And if you're here today as a newcomer, we want to thank you for entrusting an hour of your Sunday with us. Uh, We just pray that you might see and savor God a little bit more this morning, both through worship, through his word, and then also just by being with his people. So again, thank you for coming today. You know, I know many of you may not have grown up in a church with an Advent tradition. I didn't. I didn't grow up in a church with an Advent tradition. It was something later in life that, that I was in a church where they did that. You know, Advent is, is really just a Latin word for coming. And, and the goal of the Advent season is, is to prepare our hearts and think about the two different comings of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we're thinking first and foremost in the Christmas season about the coming of Jesus, meek and mild as the God-man, born in a manger, who then lived a righteous and perfect life, died on the cross that he might bear our sins uh, before the Father, that we might be seen as righteous in him. But then we're also preparing and remembering in our hearts this next coming, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ, clothed in his full majesty as king of glory, coming to reign over the new heavens and the new earth, that we might be in right relationship with him face to face. And that's the season, and obviously they were celebrating something like that from the very beginning of, of Christendom. We know that for sure from about the 3rd and the 4th century forward, they set aside a particular time in the calendar, in the Christian calendar, to do this. Uh, we, we all know that being purposeful, uh, to, to stop and have seasons, uh, they, can, they can transport us back through our affections, through our memories, uh, through all sorts of different reminders, and it can well up our hearts to appreciate something. You know, in my house, it's a yearly debate about how early we can put up the Christmas tree. I think if my wife would win, it would be the day after Halloween. We would start celebrating Christmas the day after, lights would be up, Bing Crosby's Hark the Herald Angels Sing would be not so quietly playing on the record player, and all would be right with the world. You know, we, we all understand how that works, though. We hear favorite songs. And they take us back to that first moment that we heard it or that moment that was happening when that song was playing. And we see pictures of us with friends and family. And and we remember how wonderful it was to be with them and what was going on in that moment. And you all probably do this just like me. You have that story, that story that you tell again and again, maybe to your family's chagrin, because it was such a fond memory in your life of what happened there. You know, we, we as people, we're designed for that kind of awakening, God has given us senses, memories, affections to draw us back into the story that we are a part of, that he is doing. The greater story that he wants us to stay focused on, both through his word and through our experiences. You know, we do this in church in many different ways. You know, we sing songs, and in the Christmas season, we sing songs like Joy to the World that we don't tend to sing in June, but maybe we should. We do it through sermon series, and one of the ways that we sometimes do this in the church is through an advent, um, uh, advent candles and wreath. You know, now this is a much newer uh, history to it. We can trace it back to about the 16th century where some different Christian groups were using candles to remember the different themes, things to remember that were going on during the advent season, but it really became popular in the 18th century. It was a pastor named Johann Henrik Wickner in Germany. 
and he was in charge of an orphanage. Now, I'm sure no one here can relate to this, but he got really tired of the children asking him every day when Christmas was going to be there. So he went outside, he went and grabbed himself a good old wagon wheel, wrapped it up with boughs of wreaths, and put two different kinds of candles on it. He put red candles and white candles. Red candles to be lit every day, white candles to be lit on every Sunday to talk about the different uh, themes that they were going through. And when all the candles were lit, the kids could finally know, now Christmas Day is here. Now, we do it a little bit different, right? Our traditions have changed over the years, and we now, we have a, still we have a wreath that's meant to remind us of God's eternal love for us, his eternal care. But then we have four candles surrounded by a center candle, and, and each candle's representative of a theme that we try to remember throughout the season. Usually the first candle is hope. Uh, these candles are usually blue or purple, meant to remind us in general about the royalty and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And the, the second candle is oftentimes peace, reminding us of the peace that we have in God because of Jesus Christ. Now, the third candle uh, is, is this pink one. It's a little bit different. It's actually meant to, to stand for the, the Latin phrase gaudete, which means come rejoice. It's the joy candle. And, and the goal is to remind us that even though there's joy as a unique theme, it's meant to be found in all the other themes. It's something that we should come to, to God with joy in everything that we're thinking about. And then where we find ourselves today is the fourth week. The fourth week, which is the week of love. And many Christian traditions have gone ahead and added in a white candle to the middle, which stands for the Christ candle, the purity of Christ as he's come to save us from our sins. And we light that on Christmas Day. You know, my heart today is to bring us into that remembrance of love. You know, in particular, the love of God in Christ that we see in the coming of Jesus on Christmas Day. You know, on the one hand, you would think that'd be an easy task. And even if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you hear the word Christmas. We know that the word Christ is in it. It's important to Christians. It's a joyful season. You, you would assume that we believe that it's about love and goodness of God, and it is. In fact, if you turn to all the New Testament, so much of it is unpacking that love and that goodness of God. And yet, when I realized I would be preaching on the Advent Sunday usually associated with love, I, I started thinking through in my head the different Christmas stories and the different Gospels and then I opened up my Bible and I started flipping through it. And then I went to all my little computer programs that can tell me all sorts of great little things. And I was surprised. The word love is not used even once in all of the Christmas stories. I'm like, why is that? <laughs> it's going to make it a little bit harder to preach on love that Sunday. And as I sat and I thought about it, it, it seems that the, the authors and the people recounting what had happened believed that love was so clear, written in every single moment of what was occurring, that they didn't actually need to even use the word. So that's what I pray this morning. I pray this morning that you would see clearly the love of God in Christ. And in more particular, I pray that you would see the joy that he has, the joyful giving of Jesus in love. And then as we look at that, as we look at how God was so joyful and loving in giving us Jesus in love, uh, there's really three three practical ways that we can walk that out that I think are actually shown in the Christmas stories themselves. I think we can see that we should welcome the love of God, that we should walk in the love of God, and that we're called to worship in the love of God. So so start with me this morning. Let's look at a couple of the passages of how God's giving Jesus is described in the, the Christmas accounts themselves. So we're gonna start here. Luke 1, it says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is the angel talking to Mary. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We go on, we can see the shepherds. 
Angels come and says, the angel said to them, the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then we see the angels themselves saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's something really interesting if we look at these phrases. Look at the kind of things that are being said here. Favor, good news, joy, pleased. There's a very specific description of these events occurring here, even if the word love isn't ever mentioned. If we stop and think about it, there's many different aspects to giving gifts. You know, one aspect is what you hope that gift will elicit from the person you're giving to them. If it's a white elephant gift, you're hoping there's going to be laughter and some joy in getting that gift. Uh, Sometimes you might want it to be endearing because of the thought that you had behind the gift. Other times you might want to feel real practical. It's meeting the needs of someone who needs that in their life. You know, another aspect to giving gifts is the motivation of why you're giving it. Sometimes it's a gift that just says, hey, I'm thinking of you. Other times it might be a a thank you, thank you so much gift, right? Right? Now, you know, you've all probably had this. You won't admit it. You had this gift of, I think I probably should give this gift to you because of the occasion gift, right? And then at other times you have the gift that's, man, I I just want you to know how much I love and care for you gift. And then there's another aspect that we really don't ever want to talk about, how much it cost you, right? Polite society, we don't want to talk about that, but there's a reality of what sacrifice did it take from you to give this gift to someone else? Undoubtedly, all of these things are in the Christmas account. God's gift of himself was meant to be incredibly practical. We had a problem. We were away from God, outside of relationship with him because of our sin. And God wanted to bring us back into relationship with him. And he had multiple reasons behind giving the gift of himself, of Jesus to us. He wanted to bring us back into relationship somehow, as the writer of Hebrews 10, 1 through 18 says, through a once and for all sacrifice. You know, he had promised from long ago that he would deliver his people by the seed of the woman. And he was going to provide that way now. And he was going to provide through all sorts of other promises that he made throughout history as well. You know, God undoubtedly wanted us to be thankful. He wanted us to be joyful when we received it. And it was also an incredibly costly gift that the Lord had gave to them. You know, when we, when we, we preach on Christmas time, we talk about all those aspects all the time. We talk about them throughout the whole year because so much of Christianity is talking about the amazing gift of God. And as I thought about that, the different aspects of these gifts, and I, and I thought about the gift of Christ at Christmas and Advent, it seemed that this theme in particular, love, was pushing us to consider a different aspect of gift giving, of God's gift giving. And it seems that the theme of love is encouraging us to look at the disposition of the gift giver. What's the affection, the, the heart of the one? Not just even the thought. How, how, is, how is what they're giving being given in their affections? And at first I wondered to myself, have I ever actually really cared about that? <laughs> have I ever really cared about someone's affection and what they were feeling when they gave me a gift? I mean, of course, if someone took a gift and just threw it at me and hit me with it, I'd be kind of like, ah, thank you, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> right? But, but we're not usually like that. As people, we're so good at putting on a smile. We'll come and we'll present it to someone nicely. So I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. The heart behind the person being different or more important. And then that's when the Lord brought something to mind. Brought to mind my papa box. Now you guys get to experience the angst that this first row of children are having because they don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> And we have a deal that they get 20 bucks if I say something about them without talking about them. So they're thinking good Christmas gifts are coming. But I got this box when my kids were young. 
And the goal behind it became to put in it all the trinkets and all the wonderful things that they had given to me over the time with them. And now I have five children, and my oldest is now 18, and my papa box has grown. <laughs> but it is filled with amazing gifts, right? It is filled with scraps of wood, wonderfully painted and given to me. It is filled with Hello Kitty coloring pages. It is filled with Valentine's Day cards. It is filled with what I think today are robots and and spaceships and even family pictures. And one of my favorites, construction paper representations of me complete with my cape. These aren't valuable gifts to me because of their cost. They're not even valuable gifts to me necessarily because of what my kids were thinking in that moment, what they thought it was going to do for me in my life when it was given to me. These are valuable because of the sweet, smiling, loving, joyful faces that decided of all things, they wanted to give me a gift. Right? These gifts are going to mean more to me because of the disposition of the gift giver than they ever could. I know that someday when I'm 60 and my children are off doing what they do with their families, what God's called them to glorify him, I'm going to look back in things like this and I'm going to find great joy in knowing how much love they demonstrated to me in these things because of how it was given to me. And I'm sure you have these gifts, these kind of moments, whether it's from kids, whether it's from friends, whether it's from family. It could be as simple as someone giving you the gift of time to call you on the phone when you really needed it. Someone who brought you a coffee that said, I just hope your day's going well. You know, there is no question that God gave us the most amazing gift ever. So much in our Christian life is going to be spent unpacking what all exactly happened for us in God giving of himself in Jesus Christ and dying our death on the cross that we might live with him. Yet we shouldn't overlook his disposition in giving us that wonderful gift. You'll come back to these passages with me here. We have again, favor, good news, joy, pleased. God was not begrudgingly coming to earth. He was not going to bring himself He was not going to die on the cross all because he had to. God is going out of his way to make sure that his people see that his coming is coming with great joy and great love. He is smiling through the entire thing. God is sending out his angels all over the place. They're going to Mary. They're going to Joseph. They're going to Zechariah. They're going to shepherds in the field. Babies are leaping in wombs for the joy of this, of this gift that is coming. The entire heavens are ripped open before the shepherds, and they behold the glory of the heavenly hosts, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is smiling at his people as he comes and as he knows the entire story. God's disposition is one of deep joy, love, and favor in giving us himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. You know, I love this word in this, in this section, favor. And what's interesting about it is we almost never translate it that way in the rest of the Bible. The rest of the time we tend to translate it as grace because that's what grace is. Grace is the favor of God. 
the undeserved favor that we've been given. And it's a joyful, smiling, happy favor that he has given us. You know, that's what it is. Look at, we see in places like Ephesians 2.8, where it says, for by grace or favor, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. On that Christmas day, God's favor took literal human form. You know, we don't have to wonder what God's love and favor would look like to us. We just need to look at Jesus. And look at other passages that say similar things about it. It says, Romans 5.15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace or the favor of God, and the free gift by the grace or the favor of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The gift itself is the grace and the favor of Jesus Christ. He is the favor. He is the sign of God's love, God's joy, God's happiness towards you and me. And Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians. He starts out by saying, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace or the favor of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And he goes on later in the same passage to explain what that is. He says, For you know the grace or the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Uh, These passages aren't talking about the grace of Jesus as though it's something that he has. Rather, it's talking about like a a cake of chocolate or a flock of geese. He is that favor. He is that grace. He is the thing. And Titus says it's super clear. Titus says it this way. Titus says, for the grace, the favor of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He is God's love. He is the God's favor embodied for us. And one of the last times I preached here, I talked about how Jesus was the embodiment of joy. He, he was joyful, and he did everything that he came to do in joy, in love, even when it was hard. Right? The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus came and walked to the cross. And then Jesus himself talks about it and says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was out of love. And when we, when we look for the love of God in the recordings of the first Christmas, we should see them not just in the gift itself in Jesus. We should see it not just in the cost of the gift himself, and not just in the many reasons that he gave us the gift, that we might be back with him, that we might have right relationship with him. But brothers and sisters, we should also remember the way he gave himself. He came to the earth in love. Right? He came through the joyful giving of Jesus in love. And he is still today smiling on you. He's smiling on you in Jesus Christ as he, as he longs and prepares for the day when he comes back in glory and invites us into a face-to-face relationship with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And until then, he's indwelt you by his very spirit that he might be with you today and every day wherever you go. You know, the one thing I can't do this morning is go back through and have us all read all the different Christmas accounts, read the beginning of Luke, read the beginning of Matthew, and enjoy together seeing all the ways that God unfolds his love through every page and every moment. But please, take time this Christmas to go back and do that. Do it this afternoon. Do it on Christmas Day with your family. And look, not just at the gift itself, but at the God who is smiling while he gives this gift. Let it awaken in you again, wonder and joy in seeing God's amazing love. You'll see at every turn of the page how God's giving himself comes with joy, 
favor, and love. See in it the favor, the grace that he has given us in Jesus. And then we all have to wonder, what do you do when you've been given and presented with this kind of gift? What do you do? The costliest gift ever given. The most practical and helpful gift ever given. The most purposeful gift ever given. And as we're remembering today, the most loving and joyfully given gift ever. And I think we can see at least three examples throughout the Christmas accounts of what our our responses should look like. First, as I said earlier, we should welcome the love of God. Look what Mary says. Mary says this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. For all of us, that's the reality we have to deal with at some point. Will you simply accept the gift? If you're here this morning and you don't yet follow Jesus, that's the question before you. Will you accept that a loving God is smiling, wanting you to take the gift of Jesus Christ, that he might be for your reconciliation to God through his life and death? You know, that question truly is as mind-boggling as it was for Mary to hear that she was going to be a virgin conceiving a child. And that's why it has to come with faith. Faith that the Lord really is offering that to you. The faith that God can really do that in Jesus Christ through the cross for you. You have found favor in God, in Jesus Christ. He wants to pour out his love over you that you might be awakened for the first time to the sweet gift of his care for you. Would you put your faith in Jesus this morning? And would you say like Mary, behold, I am your servant, Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you're here this morning and you already are a believer, let the memory of that awaken for you the sweetness of what faith brought into your life. God's loving care for you when you did not deserve it. God's loving mercy when you needed it so badly and all of it coming with his joyful smile at you. Stay there this Christmas in that love that God gave you for Jesus, in Jesus. And, and the second thing we often do when we, when we accept a gift is we say, well, now what? What do I do next? And like I said earlier, I think what we should think is that we should walk in the love of God. Now look at some three examples here from the Christmas story. First, we have Joseph. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And we have Mary. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And then we see with the shepherds, When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, they were all faced with a new reality in one instant. Mary is told she's going to be pregnant and carry the God-man, the child Jesus, and that she's to raise and care for him. And Joseph's told to go marry Mary and to adopt Jesus as his own in naming him. And the shepherds are told that an amazing birth has happened right nearby them in the town. And when they hear the amazing love of God and the joy of the gift that God is bringing, they all accept it, and they simply walk out of that new reality. There is nothing for them to do to earn what God had shared with them. No work for them to do. God had promised it, and it was going to happen. They could either accept it and begin living accordingly, 
or they could try to ignore what had happened. You know, so for Mary, here she is pregnant. This is before pregnancy test. She doesn't know what's going to happen in the next month or two, but she can act immediately and go to see her cousin Elizabeth, who's great with child already, see the wonder that God is working in her and what is happening there. You know, Joseph does exactly what he's been asked to do by God because he believes him. And the shepherds, they probably make one of the most reasonable statements. Well, let's go over to Bethlehem, see what God has said is going to happen over there. Walking in the love of God is never about earning his love. You can't. He did it all. Christ is all the righteousness you and I need, both for our salvation and for God smiling on us daily in Jesus Christ. You know, our job is to walk out what God says is true now about us. And what does he say is true? He says that you and I, we are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are a royal priesthood. We are ambassadors to a watching world. We have a job to do, and we should do it as he's asked us to. We go and we search scriptures, not that we might find, how can I work and please God so he will give me this great gift, but rather we go to scriptures to say, God, how do I live out this life because of this wonderful gift you've given me? We want to live in that gift of love. So we welcome the gift. We walk in the gift. That's fairly self-explanatory. I think, think most of us would do that. If I came and presented you with a million dollars, you would happily take it from me, put it in your bank, and now live like you're the person who has a million dollars in your bank. Yet, when we see the love of our God that he has for us in this gift, when we see all the amazing aspects of that gift, the purpose, the cost, the result, we should be moved in our hearts to affectionate worship of God. And that's what we see. Worship in the love of God. Look what Mary says again. This is great. And Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And then she goes on through a great song, a magnificent, right? Praising God for all he has done for her, for all of his people in worship. We see it again in the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem to Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men have even discerned from the heavens that God is doing something amazing through his gift and has come to worship this king. And they give him spectacular gifts, not to earn his favor, but because they recognize what an amazing gift and moment this is and the love of God that has been poured out right in front of them. We see it again in the shepherds. It says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And then as the shepherds are going back and they're in their field, we've seen previously how the angels themselves can't help it. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels can't help themselves as they see God's love for his people, him giving himself as a gift and his smiling disposition, but to praise him. And God's gift of love 
this season, his smiling gift of love should move us today to worship. We didn't deserve this gift. We didn't definitely deserve it to come from God joyfully with a smile. How can we not fall on our faces in adoration of our good God in light of what he did? This Advent season, would you remember? Remember hope, remember peace, remember joy, but also remember love. Remember the love of how God gave himself in the gift of Jesus Christ, in the grace and the favor of Christ for you. Wonder at the God who joyfully gave Jesus to us in love and is smiling on you today. Welcome his love, walk in his love, and worship in his love. Would you pray with me? Father God, what a privilege it is that we stand here today because of your love, your smiling, joyful, favorful, pleased with your children love that sent your only son, that we might walk back in relationship with you. Father God, it's a gift we don't deserve, and it is so mind-boggling. Lord God, would we walk in faith and trust in what you alone have done and can do? Lord God, would you continue to work your love in our hearts, both for one another and for you, that we too might be a representation of your joyful, smiling love in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion together after this song. So if you're here this morning and you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, we'd like to invite you, please come up and grab a cup, grab the bread, hold it. We'll take it together after the song. If you're here today and you don't yet put your trust and faith in Jesus, don't do a remembrance with us. Rather, for the first time, come and put your faith. There are pastors and elders who would love to talk with you in the prayer room if you'd like, or even after the service. But again, feel free to come up during this song, take the bread and the cup, and then hold it. We'll take it afterwards. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.